morning, Vintage Church. How you doing? Y'all doing all right? Man, it's good to see you. It's a packed house today. If you want a little more room, we have plenty of room in 830, but you're going to have to get up just a little bit early. Come in here and hang out with us. For those of you who are visiting with us for the first time, maybe the first time in a while, my name's Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here, and you're here on a very special week. We're closing out a series that we've been in where we've been studying the New Testament book of James. It's been an absolute incredible series. I want to encourage you like I do every single week. If you're in here, you're visiting, maybe you've been going, coming to church for just a little while and we haven't had a chance to connect, I would love to put a name to a face, love to meet you, introduce you to some people that can actually help you grow in the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, right outside this exit sign to the right, I loiter in an area called the guest suite and I literally close it down. So I would love to meet you, help you take a step. How many of you guys uh, were at our last serve team social? Do we have any hands in here for serve? Wasn't that fun? Take it from them. It was a blast. We host all kinds of events. Last week, I don't know what got into me, but I just decided it would be a good idea to move some butts in the seats to the streets. It's a service. You know, a lot of times when we do what we do in church is we come and we sit and watch, but real meaning comes when we grow in that environment, then we go and serve. Church is more than a place you go to. It's a spiritual family that you belong to. And you'll never discover your gifts. You'll never discover true meaning in the body of Christ before you get up and you start serving. I want to encourage you, if you haven't started serving and you've been coming, I said last week, for more than eight weeks, okay, start serving or find another church. That's what I said last week, and I absolutely meant it. It's better for you. You know, I came in this morning and I was in worship and, and, and I, I just, I'm going to illustrate how not serving doesn't just affect you, it affects your entire family. You know, I walked in and I noticed that our slides, we had a new song and the slides were right on time. Did y'all notice that? It was right on time. I mean, it was like a little bit early. We were walking through all this stuff and I looked back and I wanted to just know who in the world was in the sound booth and his name is Aiden and he's a member of our student team. Can we give it up for Aiden? Isn't that awesome? By the way, listen, we've had some of you old people that can't see, see or hear real good do it. We're going to have him do it from now on, right? Come on. What does that say about the body of Christ? Some of us, when we look at it, culture, we're sitting here thinking, man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and we get worried about our family, and what's going to happen about this? The best thing you can do for your family is serve in the body of Christ. Get as connected as you possibly can. The Bible says that those who are planted in the house of the Lord, their lives flourish in the courts of our God. And Aiden, you're a great example of that. Your entire family is like that. And I just want to encourage you, there's so much more for you than just an hour on Sunday. So I want to encourage you to get involved if you haven't already. Before we jump in and close out our series, I want to also invite you to a special event we have tomorrow. It's at breakfast. I have with me a good friend, pastor, and coach, Dusty Otis. Dusty Otis, will you stand up real quick? Come on. He hates this, but I'm making him do it. Give it up for Dusty. I grew up with Dusty. As you can see, he grew up a little bit more than me. By the way, that, he, he, said, he told me before service, he said, I'm in the worst shape of my life. And I said, Dusty, if that's the worst shape of your life, I want to know what the best shape of your life looks like. Come on. He's a great coach, a great pastor. He pastors in Fort Collins, uh, Colorado right now, just revitalizing a great work there. He's going to come and do a leadership uh, teaching for our staff tomorrow at 9 a.m. If you can make it at the Belton location, for those of you who haven't realized it, we're actually our family of churches. We have some other locations, but in Belton, we have a great facility there. He's gonna, we're going to host it. We're going to pay for breakfast and all that, but come and grow. It's so, so important that you take time to develop as a leader. So, you know, I was, um, I was praying a couple days ago, 
And uh, I want to do something at the beginning of our service that I don't usually do, but I think it's very important in this season, this time of our life. You know, God laid something in my heart for you that I really want to share, specifically uh, with you guys, because you're the OG, you know, the original gangster, the first location, where all the culture comes from us, right? And I started thinking about how God's grown us and developed us over the years. And you know, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul says that the local church, the family of God, is established or founded on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, if you're new to church, you might be kind of thinking, well, those are kind of religious words. Or maybe you went to some weird churches, and that meant like hanging from chandeliers and being weird and uncomfortable and all of that, okay? But when you really break down that language, there's nothing real about it. It's actually how God works. For example, the word apostolic is akin to a builder, somebody who like, somebody who, like goes to Fort Hood because their wife got orders, starts looking around for churches that they could connect in, doesn't find one, and decides to start one with their credit card. That's an apostolic gift. Right? You, you can think about the apostolic gift kind of like those people who can start businesses and those people who you just you're around and you're just like, how in the world can you do that? Well, that's actually a spiritual gift that God gave to the body of Christ. The next is the word prophetic. And a lot of times when we think about the word prophetic, we think about like, you know, the judgments down from heaven from an angry God and the Old Testament prophets. But the New Testament gift of prophecy is so important to the establishment of the church that the Apostle Paul says, I don't care if your gift is service and and mercy and all these other things. I don't care if you can heal the sick or all that. What you really need to be praying for is that you have the gift of prophecy. And he, and he explains the gift of prophecy is this, is this gift that allows a word to be spoken from God about a particular church, a person, a circumstance that gives you great peace as you're walking through it. Uh, this, this, happens, this has happened many, many times in our church's history. As a matter of fact, we bought a nightclub several years ago, and that's where you're sitting today because there was a prophetic word given by somebody that I trust, right? And you know how you know if a prophetic word is accurate? It happens, You know how you know it's garbage? It doesn't happen. Because God never says something that he does not do. And, 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 you know, I was actually hanging out with a pastor and mentor in my life. As a matter of fact, I grew up in his church. uh, And, and, man, he's remained very, very close to me. And I walk in uh, to hunt with him, uh, quail hunt with him in March. And I sit down. And about 10 seconds into me sitting down in March, he looks at me and he says, you know, I have something that I want to show you. He proceeds to get up and he walks to the the room that he stays at there on the ranch and he gets a prophecy that he wrote in November of 2020. He comes back in and he says, you know, I just shared this with my wife this morning. I had no idea why, but when I saw you, God told me that you needed to hear this. I actually wrote it in 2020 for you. I want to read it to you. And what I'd like to do to kick off our service here is I want to read it to you as well, because not only did he say it was a word for my life, but he also said it's a word for our church as the body of Christ goes into a new season of fruitfulness in ministry. Can I read it? Is that okay? Can I read it? That's great. I have the microphone, so I guess I'm going to anyways. (laughs) But it says this. It says, there is a revival coming in America. Not all of God's people will recognize it because it will not fit into the structures they have created. It will not be about huge auditoriums full of people in record crowds in mega churches. In fact, many leaders who have built great organizations and massive followings will be set aside. God is not going to use arrogant people. The Spirit is searching for leaders who are repentant and of a humble spirit. God is already removing the impure leaders, but this process is only beginning. Do not be discouraged by this continuing process because many well-known ministries will be removed from their places. God does not need numbers nor men of great influence to do what he wants to do. 
Those who work to be accepted by the mainstream culture by skirting issues and taking compromising positions will lose their anointings. They may continue, but only in hollow structures devoid of the power of God. Those whose hearts, however, are tender toward God will become more bold and uncompromising than ever. They will demonstrate the most amazing love for the people of God, but will not leave the wicked in a place of doubt about where they stand. In the most unnatural ways, the compromise will condemn and criticize the shepherds who lead with God's heart, but their own words will mock them, and those they seek to appease will turn and rend them. Jesus, the head of the church, would say, I want to heal my people and set them free, but I do not have the space to do it in the structures many have created. Give me a place and time to heal in your services. The Holy Spirit is not calling the church to bizarre manifestations that have characterized a spirit-filled church in the past. He wants to do what is real and genuine. His works will withstand scrutiny, so do not hesitate to judge manifestations and evaluate testimonies. The Lord wants to perform bona fide miracles in his church, but we must be ready to document and verify them. This process will not quench the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he writes, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test. Everyone say test. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Texans say, eat the hay and spit out the sticks. He goes, on to, he goes on to say, the Lord is not looking for numbers and throngs of people, though there will be thousands who come to faith during this season. He is looking for deeper personal relationships and the development of Holy Spirit-led believers who can be used to do his work both in the church and in the streets. Do not fear me in this, says the Lord. Those of you who know little about my ways, I will lead and teach you, and you will not fall into confusion. He handed this to me in March. And a couple days ago, as I was fighting some demons in my own life in our church, it's, don't worry, you don't need to know anything about it. That's my job. <laughs> the Lord brought to remembrance a passage of scripture that I want to read to you that I think directly ties to the season we're going into as a spiritual family and a church. Titus chapter 3, verse 9. I'm going to read a passage of scripture for those of you who are new to Scripture, there are several different types of letters and writings in the New Testament. For example, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are called Gospels. Those give an account from various perspectives of Christ's life and ministry on earth. The things he said, the things he established. Those are great places to start if you're just getting started in the Bible. Then there is the church is established in the book of Acts, which is actually written by Luke. Luke Acts. That used to be one book, but it was separated. Okay, because the church gets started. By the way, the church was something nobody saw coming. The Bible says that if the devil would have known that this was going to happen as a result of killing Jesus, he never would have done it. The Bible says that it was hidden in the heart of God since the foundation of the earth. The apostles didn't even understand what was happening until they were standing in the middle of it. You know that's how our faith is. We think it's all about us when we give our life to Christ. But we realize there comes a moment where you realize, oh my gosh, it's so much bigger than anything that I can see or do. And so this church starts to live in this dark culture. And if you think it's dark today, it was the darkest in the Roman Empire. And yet God shines a great light in this church and the Holy Spirit falls on people. And then the Apostle Paul comes up and rejects an old life of hunting down believers and he becomes the greatest church planner the world has ever seen. He begins to establish these communities of faith. All right? And he begins to write letters addressing their problems. So there's lots of times that when you read a letter, like the ones we're going through, that was actually written to James for the church at Jerusalem. <laughs> it was written and it was read by leaders. The chapters and verses, they didn't used to be there. They were for us to be able to navigate and learn and to grow. 
But then there are books in the Bible that are written specifically to pastors and to leaders in the church. These are specifically First and Second Timothy and Titus. So when I read this passage from Titus, this is a directive from God to the people who would be your pastors and your leaders in the church. He says this, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because they are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Now this challenges woke Christianity in several ways. Many of us love to see our Jesus as his fair-skinned, white, David Hasselhoff, Vidal Sassoon hair, holding Fabio, the little, you know, holding a little lamb. We love to think that Jesus was not, it was just one, one thing, but he was so much more than that. And by the way, he was. By the way, he stood against the Roman Empire. They're the ones who ordered his execution. It was a Roman cross, not a Jewish one. They were the one, he was the one that stood against the religious leaders of the day who should be leading people to Jesus, but instead of their religious, traditional nonsense, the bridge to God became a stumbling block for people. He was also the same person who looked at the sinner and said, you're forgiven, but go and sin no more. Look what he says. Warn him once, warn him twice. Guess what my job is the third time? to flip my staff around and have nothing to do with them. This is very, very important. You may be sure that people, such people are warped and simple. They are self-condemned. You might be asking, Pastor, why are you saying this? As I've walked throughout my life in different seasons, I've learned some things, particularly two things that I think will really help you as a Christian as you're developing in your walk with God. And unfortunately, there's a lot of leaders that won't stand up and tell you this, but if you don't learn these two things, you will never be all that God's called you to be. The first one is this. You've got to learn to surround yourself with people who love God. And when they stop loving God, stop doing God's will, guess what? They cannot be your closest relationships. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've been walking with someone, following Jesus, okay? And they get off in some weird area, some weird offense, some weird thing. They completely change, untether themselves from the word of God, and still want me to be their best friend. And in every one of those seasons, here's what's happened. As my life has grown and developed, and I haven't always made the right decisions. Sometimes I've chosen some of those cynical, mean friends, and it's wasted years of my effectiveness as a Christian. Years. By the way, if the devil can't steal your soul because you're saved, he'll completely make you mute in your effectiveness on this earth. And he'll do it this way. And over the time, God's put other leaders, and he's reshifted and realigned relationships in my life. And can I just tell you, you need people who are strong. He's strong, but spiritually, he's stronger. Where's Joshua Harris? Are you here? Stand up, Josh. This is one of those relationships that God's brought into my life. Runs an incredible ministry of men, of believers who care about discipleship. He's brought Josh into my life. What is that for? Brought Pastor George into my life, Steve Smotherman into my life, to remind me, right, who we're supposed to be as believers. You need that in your life. You need it more than you could possibly imagine. Be open in this next season to what God wants to do. You're missing someone, you can find that someone here if you're paying attention. The next thing that God's taught me to do is never stand with a divisive person, ever. The Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. Did you know that day and night the devil is accusing you? And Jesus, the Bible says, is sitting at the right hand of God going, look at the nails in my hands and the blood that I shed for you. There's nothing you have to accuse. The Bible says that your sin has been forgiven. 
When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he meant what he said. Past, present, and future. The Bible records he, he was so, his body was so physiologically stressed out that he was sweating blood. That wasn't because of the Roman cross. That was because of the weight of every wrong, bad, evil thing you've done or doing or will ever do was nailed with him on that cross. And so we've got to be careful not to cooperate with the divisive spirit, especially in the household of God. You have somebody in your life that's cynical, one of the most wicked things that has ever infiltrated the body of Christ. It isn't new. It just has a new name. It was Marxism at the turn of the century. They call it postmodernism today. But it's the same pig with different lipstick. And it's this attitude that because there can be lots of ways of interpreting things, there is no true way. And so if you can't say what's true, then everything is meaningless. That's seeped into our universities. It's seeped into our hearts. I just want to challenge you as a believer. If you're cynical about the future, that's your problem. God wins. If you're cynical and you don't think that you can take on what's going, it's because you're not connected. Don't you paint everyone else like that. Because God's a winner. And if, he won't, if you won't let him use you, and I'm going to say this to you because it's so important. If you won't step up and let him use you, he will pick someone else. And if he doesn't have anyone else to pick, he'll literally make the rocks cry out and do it. That's what the scripture says. And it's a beautiful thing for us as believers. Because he doesn't need any of us, but he wants all of us. Every parent in here, you know what I'm talking about. You don't need kids. They're pain and they're expensive. <laughs> you want them because they reflect your face. And you look at them and you go, they give me something so much more than all the dollars. Because if they didn't, I wouldn't have them. <laughs> God's the same way with us. It's a relationship, but it's, but it's, 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 a, it's a partnership with you. Throughout your Christian life, you have to keep saying yes you have to keep showing up. You have to keep engaging. And so here's what I want to do for the next few moments. As I was praying, I saw a picture of three churches, three types of churches. And you need to understand which one we are because we will never apologize for it. The first type of a church that's going to rise in this time is the courageous church. It's the courageous church. And by the way, can I tell you, I have not always been courageous. But I've continually surrounded myself by courageous men and I've learned that it is better to stand with God alone than it is to capitulate to the crowds without him. I've learned that better is one day in his house than a thousand elsewhere. I've learned that. And I'm just going to tell you, you got to learn that. There's a courageous church. And you know what? We're going to need some courage. We're going to need to look like on the inside spiritually what Dusty looks like on the outside. <laughs> and that's what you're supposed to do. Many of us were crying out, God, protect me from all these troubles. I just, I just don't want my kids to have to go through it. That is the wrong attitude. You know what our attitude is? I am so going to train them up that they're going to become so strong in the Lord that it doesn't matter what the devil throws at them, they're going to win. That's how we need to act. What is that? That's a courageous church. And by the way, this is not the only one of those. Let's not pretend that there's no, no there's not. God always saves a remnant. God wins, guys. And we need to partner with people who are like that. The next kind of church, I'm going to call the coward church. The coward church. And by the way, I used to be that way. I was really scared when COVID happened. I really was. Thank God Steve Smotherman came into my life and told me, even though he was a little scared too, fear God more. Fear God more. Fear God more. And I'm going to tell you, here's what happens with the cowardice church. Because they see someone else's courage, they can take courage too. We need to be an example to those churches. Love them. Be gracious with them, understanding that not everyone's the tip of the spear. And not every fight in the body of Christ is every person's. 
we respect, we love, but we constantly call them to courage. That's what the Bible says. Fear not, God said to Joshua over and over and over again. Why would God say it to Joshua if it wasn't a problem in Joshua? Why does he say it to us? It's a problem. Fear always wants to creep in, right, and disguise itself as, as love. By the way, you have to hate someone not to tell them the truth. You love someone when you tell them the truth, you plant your feet, and you promise not to go anywhere. That's how you love someone. Every good parent here, you know that's the truth. That's the first one. But this third church I'm going to tell you about, this is the one you need to watch out for because it's a problem. It's the complicit church. The courageous, the cowardly, and the complicit. It's the church that just goes along with the culture. It's been around since the establishment of the church. Let's not shake the boat. Let's not make any waves. Let's just quietly snuff out our light. Let's even join the world in some of their accusations. And accu- Let's join the devil in approaching the throne of God and accusing his people. Can I just tell you, when you fear God more than you fear people, you will watch your mouth when it comes to another believer. You will, you will double-check your facts before you go talking on Facebook. You will pause because God's very, very loyal. Aren't you glad he's more loyal to us than sometimes we can be to each other? What do we learn in here? We learn that if everybody's your family, no one's your family. You need to watch out for this complicit church because they come in and it looks like love, but it's a love that's been completely mutilated and twisted by the world. And so church, we want to be courageous. Everyone say courageous. Courageous. You might be going, why in the world are you talking? We're in the last week, week of James. Because I think one of the ways you can discern who you are and the intentions of your own heart, one of the ways you can even discern what's happening in the world is you have to learn to cultivate a life of prayer. There are some things that you can never know because a pastor says them. There are some things that you can never be calmed down from or see your way through, through somebody's advice or through some, even doctor, even some things you have to hear God's voice on. And James closes this incredible practical book talking about prayer. He says, in the coming days, here's how you tell up from down, left from right. You have to hear from the Spirit of God. So in the next few moments, I have seven minutes. I'm going to probably take 11 or 12. We're going to learn how to be a church that's empowered by prayer through the book of James. Let me read this passage in James 5.13. Are any of you suffering hardships? Anybody have a problem? It's rhetorical. You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church, get out of your seat during the last worship song and actually get prayer. How many of you have a problem or a need in your life that you need God for? You know, in church we kind of come in, you know, it's like, oh, I got to get up there. Somebody's going to think that I have problems. You know what? You can act like you don't have problems, but I know you have problems because I know I have problems. God's not surprised by any of them. We're going to learn how important it is to come and to be prayed for by other believers, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will hear the sick. The Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray so that each other may be healed. The earnest prayer, not earnest goes to camp. The prayer that doesn't stop. Some of y'all, you're like, I'm getting older. You don't stop. You don't back down. You keep going back to God. Just because you didn't get your answer, you keep knocking. You keep moving. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces results. He uses an example from the Old Testament. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crop. We're going to learn from this 
series of scripture, several things about prayer that I think can change our life and position us to be effective in our faith. The first thing is this. We need to learn to pray through suffering. We need to learn to pray through suffering. Jesus said, this side of heaven, you're going to have problems. You have suffering. And listen, we love that one scripture, that one metaphor Jesus uses, you know. You know, say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. By the way, it was a metaphor saying that no problem in your life is too big. Okay. It wasn't an escapism clause to say God just, you know, as I, when I became a Christian, I was immature. Right? I, I was just immature in my faith. You know, God did some incredible things in my life. You know, people used to palm me $20 bills when I didn't have any gas money. God would just put people in my path. You know the last time somebody, like, pawned, like, gave me any money? Never. You know why? Because I grew up and I learned that when you work and you plant seed, the greater miracle is the harvest you get from the seed you planted. That the palm was just, that's a temporary fix. That's a problem to get you to keep going. That's, that, that's the thing that's insurmountable in your life that's holding you back that you can't do anything about. But while he gives you grace for that mountain, he says, put some seed in the ground. The greater miracle is that you plant, no matter what, if you plant the right things, you'll reap the right things. Sometimes our suffering, we're learning how to plant the right things in our trials and our suffering. Is anyone among you suffering hardships? What does he say? Get on social media, complain about it. Blame it on your pastor or your small group leader or, you know, or the tone of somebody that told you a tough truth, what did he say? He said, pray first. You should pray first. Before you open your mouth, before you do anything, you, should, hey, you need to get God's mind on it. He's asking the first century church the same thing he's asking us, to resist the tendency of our own heart to blame everyone else. By the way, you can either be a son or daughter of God or a victim of the world. You cannot occupy both of those positions at the same time. You can't. You don't have a choice as a slave to Christ. As a slave to Christ, Christ doesn't make you free to yourself. He makes you a slave to himself. That's the best way to live, but you've got to take a step. John 16, I've told you all these things, that in me you may have peace. But let me tell you something about the world. There's some messed up people in the world. There's going to be troubles. What does he say? Take heart. None of these troubles are permanent. And you know what? If you don't quit, you can't lose. I'm paraphrasing. Like, I've overcome all of them. You know, Jesus is a winner. If we just stay connected to him, we, we don't lose. We always win. Always. Always. How do we win? I'm glad you asked. Because it's not in how tough you are. And it's not in what you think things should be or shouldn't be. Just because of what you think something should be doesn't change what something is. We're all trying to do that. Trying to change the fabric of reality. Truth is either revealed or discovered. It is never invented by you. It's revealed or discovered. What does he say? James 4, John 14, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him, doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and will later be in you. He's speaking of the born-again experience here. When you give your life to Christ, the Bible says the same resurrection power of God is deposited in your heart. You don't have to stand in line for Jesus. The same spirit that enabled him to do all those miracles, the same spirit that raised him from the dead is now alive and well in you. That's the help. That's the help. It's not screaming to this mountain, be removed. It's, you know what, Holy Spirit, you're with me. If I don't quit... 
and I listen to you, I can climb up that mountain and come down stronger. That's how God's called us to live. It's so important. The next thing he says is pray against sickness. There's all kinds of sickness. We have all kinds of sickness. It's not just physical. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes you're in a situation where you're trying to overcome your past, but it keeps hanging on to you. That's a sickness too. He says, pray against sickness. James 5, 14, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church. By the way, he didn't say you should listen to a podcast. He didn't. I love podcasts. I learn a lot in my car. But you know what? When I'm sick, I don't turn on some pastor in some other city. What does he say? Call for the elders of the church to come and to pray over you in person. In person, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. Are any of you sick? And the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, the Bible says you'll be forgiven. That's in person. Pray against sickness. Acts 10, 38. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The same Holy Spirit is with you too. You can believe for more. It's so important. Next, the Bible says, James would say rather, pray with others. Pray with others. Look at the first part of James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray so that you may be healed. This is interesting. This is, it's this theological idea called atonement in Scripture. How when Jesus was on the cross... And he said, it, was, it is finished. He died for past, present, and future sins. You know, nobody can forgive your sin but God. Nobody. And he's already done it to those who put faith in Christ. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Here's the problem. Believers want salvation without lordship. We skip over that. Confess Jesus as Lord. It didn't say confess Jesus as my homeboy, as my buddy, as my accessory. It says, as Lord. Do you know why areas of your life lose? Because it's, he's not Lord. You need life, resurrection, power into a part of your life, even as a Christian. You've got to make him Lord over that area. That's what you learn in here. That's what you learn. You sit under God's word. You learn. The Holy Spirit confirms with the person next to you and around you what's true and what's not. It's interesting. You can't, nobody can forgive you. But you know what? There's a lot of believers who have been 100% forgiven but they still walk with a limp in this world. You know, last service, I started thinking about the 50 Cent song. You know, I've been hit with a few shells, now I walk with a limp. Anybody? <laughs> Don't look at me like that. You're just as unsanctified as me. That's, what, that's a picture of a lot of Christians, man. They get hit, man, and they're just like, they, they've been hurt by one person, so they, everyone's going to hurt them. They had one bad experience with pastors. Like, Church, just watch your money. Think about it for a minute. It's ridiculous. Really? Really. That's why I get out of bed in the morning. You guys do know there's more lucrative ways to be miserable than to be a pastor. <laughs> do you know why we're here? Because we're called to be here. Did you just see that on the, on the stage? Those people are called and anointed by God. But, you know, we're limping. Did you know it's possible to go to heaven and have a hell on earth? I watch it every day as a pastor. It breaks my heart. I've lived it, refusing to forgive people, refusing to grow up and to get over resentment, not doing the little things. 
that cause big weights over time. Can I just tell you, there's no better way to live than with others. We get healing with others. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be forgiven. No, so that you can be healed. Did you know healing doesn't happen on your own? Salvation does. Forgiveness does. You and Jesus. You will never be all that you were created to be apart from God's people. And by the way, there is no such thing as church online. There's just lazy Christians who think church is more about taking than giving. And I'm just going to tell you, the courageous church will tell you some things you don't want to hear so that you can get somewhere you never thought you could possibly go. And you know what leadership is? I was thinking about this, Christian leadership. Our job as pastors and leaders in your life, it's to take you where you don't want to go, kicking and screaming, so that when you get there, you say, look what God did. That's what we do together. And sometimes you're going to be in environments like this where something's going to be said that inside you're just going to go, I'm so grateful they've grown up with parents, with pastors who taught me in that moment, in that moment, don't get bitter. In that moment, don't go deaf. In that moment, by the way, that's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ needs more of it. We would be stronger if we leaned into that instead of away for it. And the truth of the matter is, the cowardly church and the complicit church, they do everything they can to protect you from ever feeling any kind of pain. And as a result, you're left anemic, getting eaten by lions everywhere. That's just not gonna be the case here. And, and listen, I'll tell you, I'll love you. Our staff will love you. We have some of the greatest teams I've ever seen. It's unbelievable what God's doing. It's not about one person. By the way, I, I can't meet all your needs. Good Lord, I can barely meet mine. Right? One person, that's not how God designed this thing to go. But in the family of God, every need you have and every need the body has, it's, it's, it's taken care of in the family of God. That's the power of community. Pray with others so that you're healed. As we close, the last thing is pray expecting results. James 5.16 says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great, everyone say great, has great power. It's not just about mental health, guys. It's not just about feeling, I just feel better after I pray. It's, it's not just cathartic. James is saying, no, 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 no. Your prayers that don't stop, that stay God-focused, that are connected in community, they change the world. They change the world. Do you know how many believers have been praying that Roe v. Wade would be overturned over the last 50 years? Prayer doesn't matter. Are you joking? God used Nebuchadnezzar to put three justices on the Supreme Court. Nebuchadnezzar. You know Nebuchadnezzar? Read the Bible. I've never voted for Jesus as president. Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan king who every now and then listened to God, who every now and then was on the right side of something. And God uses all kinds of things. And before we get all puffy about what we think the church should be or should we should do, we should look at the Bible. History is full of men and women of God who stood against evil in their time. And you know, people are so worried about, you know what, I, I, this is a big deal when it comes to like, Men, strong men. You people are so scared. Man, we're just, we're just, listen, if you're scared of strong men, you should be way more scared of weak ones. Because when you look at history, weak men that don't stand up, lead their families, love their wives, raise their kids, they lead to the demise of all civilization. God's word works when we work it. And as we walk through this and we talk about, God, how can we in this season prepare ourselves for what's coming as a courageous church? We've got to just accept 
that you know what? There's going to be some pain and suffering. Don't quit. You can't lose. We've got to learn to pray against sickness for others and, quite frankly, in our own hearts and in our own bodies. Sickness doesn't mean you're 85 years old and you wake up with no back pain. You're 85 years old. It means what is standing between you and putting God first? What is it? What's holding you back? Is it something in your digestive system? You can't sit in a service. Is it a mental issue from your past? What is it? That's the sickness. Why? So you can remove it and do what God told you to do. A church, courageous church has to pray. We have to learn that we're better together. Where two or more are gathered, Jesus says, I'm right there. Those people can ask anything in my name according to my will, and I will hear them, and I will take care of it. But finally, we've got to pray actually believing we have a God that heals, we have a God that restores, and we have a God that no matter how dark our world gets, uses you and me to shine light and to be salt. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you, God, for what an honor it is to be a son of God. What a privilege it is to walk with so many incredible people committed to you. God, we're not alone. We're strong in you, united together. And I pray, God, that as we go into this next season of the church, you would continue to bring strong men and women of God committed to you. Father, you would do great things in our generation for such a time as this. You could have picked anyone, and you didn't pick any of those heroes we read about in the Bible. You picked us. None of them knew how their story was going to end, but they accepted their responsibility for their time. I pray, Father, we would do the same as a church, as believers. I also pray, Father, for anybody in here that's far from you, they don't know you. Maybe they've followed you at some point in their life, but they're, they're just not fully committed. They've tried to live one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom, and it's just impossible. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would draw them back into the fold of God. I pray, Father, for those that have never given their life to Christ, that your Holy Spirit, through your word, would reveal truth to them that no man or woman could ever deliver. Father, you would confirm in their heart the way they should go, and your Holy Spirit would draw them to surrendering to you. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're almost finished. We're a little late. I believe one of the most important things we do as the body of Christ is we create a place and a space for people far from God to draw near to him. That's what we're going to do right now. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to single you out. We're not going to do anything weird. The Bible says, Jesus said, you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father. Some of you in here, you need to get off the throne of your life and you need to put Jesus there. If that's you, raise your hand. Acknowledge. Put your hand halfway up and halfway down. Come on, I see you. Hands are going to fall over the room. By the way, you're never the only one. That's the biggest lie the devil tells you. You're in here going, man, I, I, I want to I follow Jesus. I want to get right with God. Anyone else? Join these. Raise their hand. I see you. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you, sir. The moment we're going to pray a prayer, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you raise your hand, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray this prayer as an expression of why you raised your hand. I'm going to lead you according to this passage in Scripture. The Bible says on the other side of this prayer, God's going to speak to you again. We're going to give you some next steps, but I believe he's also going to give you some steps. And here's, my, here's the best advice I could ever give you to following God. Just do the next thing he tells you to do. Church, we're going to believe with them and we're going to pray. We're going to encourage their faith. Let's pray this all together. Let's pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe that you are good and I believe that you're God. I believe on the third day after Jesus was killed, that he rose from the dead. I believe he defeated death once and for all to give me life 
once and for all. Today I choose that life. I'm making my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me, guide me, show me what's next. It's in your name that I pray. And we all said, amen. Come on, church, put our hands together.